Welcome back. This evening, we're going to be talking about the historical journey of masonry and the transformation that it has within you. We're going to be talking about the mystic warrior and just what that has to do with Freemasonry. We have an excellent guest on with us this evening that's going to walk us through all that and more. So stick with us because we have a wonderful episode lined up for you right here on Historical Light. Welcome back to the Historical Light Masonic Podcast, dedicated to illuminate our past and bring our Masonic history to light since 2016. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome back, everybody, to Historical Light, an independent Masonic podcast focused on the historical events and aspects within Freemasonry. I'm your host, Brother Alex Powers. Pleased to be back with you this evening. Uh, And we have a wonderful guest with us here. He's been on the show before, but it's been way too long. So I'm super excited uh, to have the opportunity to catch up with him and talk about this fascinating new subject. So, my brother, welcome to the show. This is Brother Angel Millar. Uh, If you wouldn't mind, would you mind giving us just a more formal introduction of yourself, your experience in Freemasonry? Sure. Well, it's good to be speaking to you again, Alex. I appreciate it. Um, So uh, I'm the author of several books on on the the subject of Freemasonry, including uh, Freemasonry Foundation of the Western Esoteric Tradition, uh, I've attended to focus more on the esoteric symbolism, uh, the historical sort of interconnections between different uh, mystical and religious paths and Freemasonry. Uh, my last two books are not specifically related to the, to the craft, but uh, um, sort of parallel it in some respects is uh, uh, the path of the warrior mystic being a man in an age of chaos and three stages of initiatic spirituality. Crossman warrior magician. Uh, in regard to the fraternity, I joined in 2001. Uh, I'm also now the uh, current editor in chief for the Fraternal Review as well. So, That's right. Yeah. So that was huge. I was I was totally stoked when I saw the announcement that you were taking over this year as editor in chief. What's going on with that, and and how's that going for you? Yeah, yeah it's it's going pretty well, I think. Um, yeah. Uh, Definitely, there's some some interesting issues uh, this year. Uh, I think the next uh, next issue, uh, which will be uh, out in about literally three weeks to a month from now, is amazing. I think is going to be a uh, a really sort of pivotal movement in the craft. Uh, I'm not going to say any more than that, but it's definitely a pretty revolutionary issue of the likes of which you have not seen before so uh, yeah so i would encourage everybody to check out the fraternal review website and especially in a month from now to uh take a look at what's going on fantastic well you heard it here guys if you have had at all the opportunity uh to read any of brother angel's books um heard him speak or any of that you are going to miss out severely uh, if you don't get that subscription in and i can't wait to read these articles so uh, totally stoked for that. Guys, make sure you get over to the fraternalreview.com and uh, get that subscription in. 
So my brother, we're going to be talking about a pretty epic topic this evening. You've written a bunch of books. You have a ton of experience uh, in the craft, mentoring, speaking, practicing. And one of your latest books is The Path of the Warrior Mystic. And it's, it's a pretty interesting topic to delve into. And I think it also has some uh, really neat correlations uh, to the topic of Freemasonry and how we conduct ourselves. But just right before we get into that, I do want to take a quick moment uh, to send a huge thanks and shout out to our Patreons that do support the show. We've been around since 2016 and we are viewer supported. Uh, huge thanks again to our Patreons that help us keep growing and bringing you awesome new content. If you guys like what you see and you want to help support us and continue that mission, you too can join the team by well, clicking on that QR code there or heading over to the website historicalite.com slash support and join us through the mission of Patreon. And yes, you can use PayPal. Other quick announcement is MasonicCon Kansas is coming up just over a month away, right around the corner. It's going to be phenomenal. Everything's sold out except for day-only passes and virtual passes, but those virtual passes are your hot ticket at this point. If you're not able to make it to KC uh, to join in on this event, head over to MasonicConKansas.com and get that virtual pass. Eight lectures, two panel discussions, $15. Can't beat it. Well, my brother, I am stoked to dive into this episode with you, talking about your book, uh, The Path of a Mist or Path of a Warrior Mystic. Now, before we get into too much of the depth of that, what brought this about uh, for you? What what really put you on the path of writing this book to begin with? Yeah, well, it, it is, in a sense, a kind of follow-up to the preceding book, The Three Stages of Initiatic Spirituality. Um, in, in that book, I explore these three different archetypes, or we might say vocations, that you find pretty much in every culture and certainly, certainly in every civilization and in, in certain um, more esoteric traditions as well, such as Sufism. Um, with, with the Path of the Warrior Mystic, I was uh, really prompted uh, by uh, all of the men that I've met, or many of the men that I've met around America in particular, also Great Britain, but over the last decade in the USA, who really did not grow up with any kind of real guidance about what it is to be a man or what masculinity really is. And um, of course, so the subtitle of the book is Being a Man in an Age of Chaos. And, um, you know, especially today at uh, this time, there's an awful lot of criticism of men. Men are the worst thing you can be, probably. And, um, you know, I, I don't want to say anything political, but... I think, um, you know, growing up as a boy or becoming a man and not receiving any guidance, but being constantly criticized by society uh, really would not end well for society. Uh, it wouldn't end well for society if, if this was the case for women. It happens to be the case for men. So, um, so I really wanted to just reflect on my own life journey, uh, the initiatic experiences that I have had and other experiences, um, and uh, and really try and give some kind of guidance. Uh, I, I should say that, um, uh, you know, I don't, 
I don't begin a book because I feel I have all, have the answer. I usually begin writing a book because there's a, a question that I want to think about and answer sure. myself. So, so that's also a factor. You know, and that's that's an amazing point because I kind of go through that same thing as well. I any part of uh, this Masonic journey, this uh, historical preservation journey, it, you know, it never starts because you have the answer. It, it, it always starts and continues because you need an answer. And I think by really diving into it in that manner, uh, you can often come to sides of it that you probably wouldn't have otherwise. So, you know, just yeah. that, that path of it is, is really beautiful. Yeah, definitely. And to be honest, you know, especially now I'm editing a lot of different writing when, um, when I can tell when somebody writes from the perspective that they have the answer and it's always really boring writing <laughs> to write. Well, you kind of have to ask a question. So, sure. you know, yeah. So that's a fantastic point. So, so getting into this path of this warrior mystic, uh, without giving the whole book away, because obviously we want go guys to go out and buy this and really dive into it. Um, but tell us a little bit about the path here and, and what this book covers. Sure, sure. So I really begin uh, with the warrior and end with the mystic, or really by implication, bringing these two aspects together. Uh, I, I begin by looking at the, the dual nature of the warrior. And, uh, you know, uh, why why would there be a dual nature to the warrior? So C.S. Lewis talks about this double demand that's placed on the on the knight uh, to be chivalrous, to be meek in uh, peacetime, but to be fierce and ferocious in battle. But actually, when you look at uh, the higher type of warrior, this double demand is actually a lot more complicated than that and a lot more cultured and cultivated in that so so you know if you think of uh, the samurai miyamoto masashi for example J japan certainly japan's most famous samurai uh in japan he's not only famous as a warrior he's also famous for his uh, calligraphy and painting as well during his lifetime he was also well known for his uh, uh landscape gardening as well and you, and you find this particularly this combination of literature and and the warrior um, really around the world. Uh, the Japanese actually have a term for it, and I may maybe butchering it, but bunbu ryodo, which means uh, literally uh, uh, the the way of uh, the way of the warrior and literature together as one, or by extension, the way of the warrior and the way and the way of civilization as one. But okay. you know, even even in for example, in Northern Europe, you have a figure such as Egil Skala Grimson, who is a, one of the more feared uh, Viking warriors of his time. Uh, I believe he killed, the, the, uh, made his first kill when he was about 15. Uh, but he was also a renowned poet who was the first to use end rhyme in poetry. And prior to that, uh, poetry uh, rhymed with the first word of the sentence, uh, not the last word. And um, so, you know, you have this uh, warrior who's also a kind of renowned and revolutionary poet. But, um, you know, uh, so, so I, I begin by looking at this, uh, this dual aspect of the warrior and why that would be. And uh, in regards to uh, modern men or men living today, 
my suggestion at the end of that chapter is that if you think of yourself as someone who is uh, you know, soft and passive, take up a martial art. But if you think of yourself as someone who's strong and hard and a manly man, take up poetry or take up nice. art or something, uh, because both of these really are cliches. And, um, you know, today, uh, I don't know if it's especially with men, but certainly with men, uh, we are very much forced into boxes and forced to be cliches. And, you know, you can go to the gym and uh, work out and be muscular and be a bro. But if you do that, you mustn't be intelligent and creative and spiritual. And if you're creative and spiritual, you mustn't be muscular and strong and know how to fight. And that's completely ridiculous. Uh, you know, we're forced to become these sort of half people, really. Uh, not, well, yes, by my standard, but not just by my standard, by, by the standard of uh, probably every, well, certainly every civilization and probably every culture that's lasted uh, throughout history, really. And, uh, and forcing people into these very sort of shallow stereotypes um, is just a recipe for misery, really. You know, that, that's a great point. And looking at, you know, the history of Freemasonry and the intent there of, of the path, that, that initiatic path of, of building the Mason, um, we see so much correlation there. I mean, I'm hearing you talk about these aspects of, well, you know, of course, the initiatic experience, but also uh, recognizing and adhering to those levels of duality mm. and really that that level of balance more importantly right because uh there has to be aspects or aspects of both but to have that healthy balance like you said if if you if you find yourself more on the uh manly man side to em embrace uh and search out that that softer and and vice versa to you know try to level yourself or balance yourself yeah well personally i prefer the word harmony to balance but uh... i like that yeah, but yeah, certainly. Um, I mean, if you look at, let's say, the Masonic Lodge or, or initiation, so you can see elements of both, right? So, yeah, outside the lodge, there's a, you know, a brother with a sword. And okay, a, today a sword is symbolic, but when Freemasonry started, a sword was for self-defense to defend yourself against sure. criminals that would take your money and maybe kill you. So, you know, that's the warrior. And there are other aspects of the warrior as well. So this contemplation of mortality uh, is very much part of the warrior tradition. But at the same time, uh, we're encouraged to uh, learn the several, seven uh, liberal arts. So right there, um, that, that's this sort of union of, you know, literature with the warrior. Yeah, that, that's that's a beautiful experience. Now, I I got this heavy sense of the talk about you know ego and and, and the balance of that as well. Um, how would you say this book addresses aspects of the ego? Yeah, well, I'm not opposed to the ego. Sure. <laughs> so you know, there's a kind of cliche in spirituality that we must destroy our ego. Well, if you destroyed your ego, you wouldn't even get out of bed in the morning. So. In the, what, what for? Uh, because you would just be simply existing in some kind of blissful 
or not blissful state where you can't even think about anything. And certainly you can't think about anything of self-preservation, such as eating a meal. So, um, you know, you know, you need the ego. Um, you know, I practice uh, hypnotism. And uh, there's a difference between hypnotism and meditation, although they are very, very similar. And, um, and in meditation, of course, you know, there may be exceptions, obviously, but in meditation, generally speaking, the idea is to sort of get rid of your ego. So in awareness meditation, you just focus on your breath. I'm breathing in, I'm breathing out. Then you hear a noise and you just say to yourself, noise or whatever it is. Right. And, uh, and you just sort of exist in this state, but you don't identify with anything. So you're kind of trying to get rid of the ego. And that works in the culture that is very prepared for that. So in, in Eastern culture, for example, you learn a martial art, you're told, you know, do this. You don't need to know why you're doing it. You just do it. And if I tell you to do it for an hour or if I tell you to do it for eight hours, that's what you're going to be doing and there's no questions. And then five years down the road, you understand why you did it. But uh, so there's this kind of getting rid of the ego. And if... The, if the society is set up for it, then that can work, but our society is not. So hypnosis is not about getting rid of the ego. It's about realigning it to your sure. true will, your true nature, as it were. Um, so uh, so this book, in a, in a sense, I mean, good books that inspire you to take action are, in, in a sense, very much... Uh, a kind of literary hypnosis, right? So that you may be slumbering, you may not be taking action, you you might be questioning yourself or saying to yourself, well, I can't do it or I can't give up this bad habit that you started for whatever, you don't even know why. And in a sense, society has hypnotized us or the culture has hypnotized us. So why does someone start smoking? No one enjoys smoking when they first try it, right? It makes everybody feel sick. And, and both, you know, movie images, friends, all this kind of, they have this image that smoking is really a good thing and it will make them look older and cooler and things like that. So they're kind of hypnotized to do that. And then if you're a hypnotist, removing, the, you know, getting rid of this smoking business, you're sort of using hypnotism to unhypnotize people. Well, books are very much like that as well. You know, if you can inspire someone to take action, uh, it's, it's a form of, sort of literary hypnosis, right? But you're, the, the point is that they are inspired because you are helping them to realign their ego or their, their self-identity with their actions so, and, and making them realize that they have a kind of power in them that they have been telling themselves that they don't have but actually often do have. So, so in a sense, the whole book is about uh, realigning the ego to one's actions, you could say. Yeah, you, that, that's beautiful. And I honestly hear so much uh, through social media and just people talking. There's always that focus on the ego. And I, I think in, especially in the modern age, uh, we, we've been kind of conditioned to see the ego as just this purely negative aspect. Yeah, to for sure. Squash. And yeah. I, I love how you put that there. And uh, it's definitely something to be, you know, contemplated on and considered. It's, you know, is the ego something yeah. you want to control but not do away with because, you know, yeah. you need aspects of it. Yeah. Well, the ego, to, you might compare it to wealth, right? So there are 
some mm. people become wealthy and they, and they become incredibly stingy and just very nasty individuals and some other people become wealthy and they give lots of money away and, and do a lot of good with, with it and the same with the ego you know well maybe your ego needs fixing but um the idea you just throw it away then you're throwing away all of your energy and direction if you do that right and, and to be honest with you people who say that oh i've overcome my ego are complete frauds uh you know and i remember a few years ago um i was at a talk about spirituality and the speaker was on stage saying, you must destroy your ego. Well, what about you? You're on stage saying you've obviously got a pretty big ego. It takes an ego to get up on stage. And uh, say that from a platform. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Not realize the irony of it as well. Right. But um, the ego is not a bad thing. You need an, you need the ego. It's just this self-identification, but the you need to align it to your true nature. And then it's okay. <laughs> Definitely. You don't want to get rid of it. So obviously Freemasonry has taken many paths, shapes, and, and views over its existence. Mm -hmm. um, how do you feel that journey and that initiatic path is being embraced or treated in today's yeah. world? Um, do you, basically, do, do you feel like it's appropriately been carried out or do we need to address more attention um, into this path and into these uh, tactics of, you know, this initiatic experience, these, uh, mm -hmm. these missions through viewing our duality, all that? Do you, do you feel like that yeah. needs more attention in masonry? Yeah, well, I think over the last five years, it has received a lot more attention. Uh, certainly when I joined... Um, it was a very weird situation, to be honest with you. In the lodge that I was a member of, and I'm sure 99% of lodges were like this at the time, um, you know, uh, in lodge, uh, there would be no talk about Freemasonry at all. We would have a speaker come and give a talk on being a fireman or men's health. Nothing, nothing wrong with men's health, but some of them were completely dreary. And then we would go to dinner and everybody would be talking enthusiastically about Freemasonry outside the lodge, and it just struck me as just really peculiar. And I think, I think you know, it was a kind of legacy of uh, post World War II and post Vietnam and post Korea that a lot of guys in the military joined, yeah. and, and they were there just for the camaraderie and the fraternity, and they didn't really care about the esoteric or symbolism or philosophy or thinking or anything. And uh, and so I think you know. Uh, members got into got the, into their heads the idea that you couldn't really discuss freemasonry in the large and uh, you know I've, I've given this um I've told this anecdote before but after about six months maybe less of being a master mason i decided this was ridiculous and not why i joined the lodge so um, you know i gave so i asked the the master of the lodge if i could give a talk on freemasonry and um and I gave a talk on Freemasonry and runes, actually, and, and, and Mason's marks uh, in England. And, um, and my uh, closest friend at the time was a member of the lodge, and he said to me, you know, look, all of the brothers are going to be really thrilled because we haven't had a talk on Freemasonry for four years. And um, Wow. Yeah, and I'm sure the one before that was about 20 years. And um, so, And he said, but, you know, there's that old guy, comes and messes around and makes jokes and just 
you know, if he falls asleep, don't worry about it because everybody else will be really, will be, you know, there for you and thrilled. And at the end of the talk, that old guy came up to me and he said, you know, that was great. We need more of that. And it's, well, of course, why has he, why has he been in a Masonic Lodge for 50 years? Right. It's, it's not for, it's not for chicken dinners or whatever. It's, it's really not. And, um, and I think, that, you know, so many members just got into their head that, oh, we can't discuss it, but we can. And I think over the last five years since, uh, since the first Masonic con in Massachusetts, that that's kind of unleashed uh, this realization that actually we, we, if we want to discuss the esoteric, we can, or if we want to discuss philosophy, we can, or if we want to discuss something else about it, Freemasonry, we can do that. And it's not a, not a problem. And, you know, especially now, I think men who are joining Freemasonry overwhelmingly are joining because they're interested in symbolism, mythology, mysticism, mystery, because they have a question actually about life. And, um, you know, if, uh, if we really want Freemasonry to survive and be meaningful, then we do need to discuss these things. And I think some, some lodges are doing a good job. Some lodges probably not. I'm sure there are many lodges of older members who just really want to continue it the way it's been and that's okay. And, um, you know, in, in a sense, it is okay that 50 years ago men joined just for camaraderie. Um, you know, these things go up and down. And yeah. the superficial a aspects are actually important as well. It just becomes too much, uh, sort of, it becomes too unbalanced sometimes, and then it will rectify itself. And, and I'm sure it will happen in our lifetime that it will become in a sense maybe too esoteric and then it will go back to being more of an emphasis on the social and i think you know that's perfectly okay actually so that's a sense of like ebbs and flows essentially yeah and you know i think one of the reasons why freemasonry actually has lasted for hundreds of years with hundreds of thousands of members or more worldwide it is because it does it does uh, mean that you have to be able to have a conversation with with uh, lots of different people, maybe about things that you're not particularly interested in sometimes. In other words, you have to be a normal, well-adjusted person. And, um, you know, too many, uh, too many occult groups and esoteric groups um, attract people who are, are not at all well-adjusted. And it's actually, sure. it makes them worse in a way. It makes them less able to cope with life and, and, um, you know, I'm interested in mysticism and the esoteric, but you know, you have to well, you have to embody these things in the world for for sure. But you also have to be able to function in the world as an ordinary, normal person as well. So, and that really comes first. And, and one of the problems with the esoteric and mysticism today is that people think that they can sort of leap over the ordinary and get straight to the straight to the magic. <laughs> Right. And that's not possible and it's very very uh ill-advised and if you even if you look at uh, you know the most uh influential occultists of the last few centuries well they were all, all of them in the bible for one thing they were all in, well virtually all of them were incredibly learned uh, prior to the mid 20th century or a little before that uh you know with um with a real understanding of history and culture 
Uh, they certainly would have known the seven, seven liberal arts. Uh, but today, if you don't know any of that, all of this quote-unquote higher learning is useless to you or maybe even dangerous, actually. That, that's a fantastic point. We, we've got a Jeffrey over on the uh, Facebook side. I'll throw his comment up here. He's saying, uh, the discussion on ego, to be useful and honest, is far too nuanced uh, to be adequately addressed in this brief, crude manner expressed here, uh, the extent of which one considers the ego necessary or beneficial is entirely relative to one's own experience and expanded awareness of one's own life purpose and goals. You know, yeah, 100%. It can't all be addressed here. Um, but also, Brother Angel's book goes much further into depth. So you, you have to remember that, you know, we're, we're touching on aspects here. Um, but you definitely want to read the book and, and find out more. Brother Angel, what, what would you say to that? Well, uh, just to quote, uh, to the extent the extent to which one considers the ego necessary or beneficial is entirely reflective of one's own experience, etc. Well, that's true to the extent which one considers it, sure. But it, at the end of the day, it actually is necessary. So <laughs> you can consider it according to your experiences. But, you know, I, th I think this is a, a reflective of this idea that you have your truth and I have my truth because there's no truth. That's a fair point. Uh, and actually, there is a truth. And, um, you know, if you, I mean, right there, if the ego isn't necessary, why make the comment? <laughs> that is a fair point. That is a fair point. You know, I, there, there's so much within that, that journey uh, through masonry that bridges so many of these topics. I, I'm sitting here mainly bouncing over just the name and its essence, the, you know, this path of this warrior mystic. And I personally can't think of a better way now to describe that Masonic journey. Unfortunately, like, like you were saying though, some of these people want to, and I think I fall victim to it as well, uh, get so caught up into it, jump over and think you can grasp it too fast. But then mm -hmm in doing that, we don't appropriately apply that to our path to actually make those, those improvements, uh, uh, that can really, you know, get us down that journey. Sure. Oh, did you have a question? <laughs> I'm just making a comment there. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, agreed. Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, I think it was the nature of life really that you reflect, have to reflect on things and, and very often, um, you think you have an answer, and maybe you, you do, but uh, that's probably going to change, you know, obviously. With more experience and more time reflecting on it, you understand things a little more deeply. Maybe not the same way everybody else would understand it, but uh, that's the nature of life, probably. 100%. So we got one coming through here from uh, Brother Kenneth, and he's saying, so if, if someone's dipping their feet into esoteric topics, what is a good book to read? Or um, I'm sorry, would this be a good book to read to kind of uh, get that starting aspect? Well, probably, um, yeah, I mean, I would recommend reading not The Path of the Warrior Mystic, but The Three Stages of Initiatic Spirituality, um, not just because I wrote it, but because, um, <laughs> which is always a temptation, but um, because uh, it, it lays out uh, 
these three sort of archetypal vocations and uh, and um, the sort of mysticism behind them. Uh, obviously, the craftsman you would think immediately your Freemasonry, alchemy, um, for example. Uh, the the warrior, various martial arts, uh, and uh, the magician uh, magic from ancient time all the way up to uh, chaos magic during the late twentieth century and uh, new thought or positive thinking, and uh, you know, and I look at a lot of different uh, traditions in there, including many that I think very few people will have heard of. So you, you, it kind of covers a, a real spectrum, actually, uh, but also makes it, uh, I think, understandable and coherent. As, I don't want to say especially for a Freemason, but if you are a Freemason, you'll you'll definitely recognize it. I mean, the, the book is structured in three sections, uh, which you could relate to a kind of, you could say is a kind of literary initiatic experience, if you like. Now, one thing we had uh, kind of bridged the topic of here is Masonry's gone through these ebbs and flows of, of having some members that are really into this stuff and then some members that not so much. They just show up to show up and and, and so on yeah. and so forth. Em embracing this this topic matter, you know, this this path of this warrior mystic, do you think that somebody can appropriately practice Freemasonry without embracing uh, the side of the mystic or or potentially taking it at face value without really deeply considering or contemplating the reality of yeah. it? Yeah, well, I don't know about uh, taking it at face value. No, I mean, I think you should ref reflect on experiences that you have. And Freemasonry is a pretty dramatic experience. Right. But um, yeah, I mean, in regards to not embracing mysticism, it depends what you mean. But if you mean not embracing, you know, occultism or esotericism, where you're interested in, you know, what the pentagram means in relation to, to Kabbalah vis-a-vis -vis hermeticism. Yeah, I mean, you definitely don't need to do that. And um, but if you if you mean mysticism, uh, reflecting on uh, the, the idea that there's something beyond this world, then I think that would, I think you have to do that. I mean, that's implicit in the Masonic ritual as it is in every religion and you know some philosophical systems as well. And you know, the the ritual is orientating us uh, to think about our death and what might be beyond it and how we can right. live a life that. Uh, of no no regrets or of, uh, one that will put us in good stead for whatever might lie beyond it. So I think I think you would have to do that for sure. But certainly, no, I don't think Freemasons need to be involving themselves in complicated esotericism or or strange forms of mysticism. No, not at all. Okay. So now what, what is it that you would say drew your attention to this side of this path? And especially through the routes of, of Freemasonry is, is mm -hmm. mysticism, esotericism and stuff was, was, were those aspects that you had interest in prior to joining the craft or was it something that you were kind of geared towards? Yeah. So if you want to go into my dark and sinister part. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So when, well, when I was, I don't want to bore everybody, but yeah. So when I was a teenager, I, I practiced a little bit of astral projection. I didn't, didn't really understand what it was. 
was and uh, some pagan rituals when I was self-initiatic pagan rituals when I was 16. And, and then I was very involved in a sort of pagan, neo-pagan group when I was 17, 18, maybe even into 19 and, um, and other things. But, um, you know, and uh, when I look back on it, it strikes me as kind of silly, to be honest with you, a lot of it. And, and a lot of the information that the sort of head guy was giving us was false, you know, wrong historically. But, um, you know, one good thing I would say about that experience, uh, maybe there's many bad points to it, but uh, one good thing was, you know, I would say that he genuinely conveyed the idea that life was more than shopping malls and whatever you watched on TV. And there was something incredibly mysterious about, uh, about life. And, you know, this, this was in England and something mysterious about nature in England or whatever it may have been. And I think that that, that was really good. And yeah, later on I joined, uh, I'm not going to mention it, but a very, a very hardcore, <laughs> a cold group. When I was 19, uh, uh, 19, I left when I was 20, about a year later. And it was a very, I mean, it was a transformative experience, not really for positive reasons, particularly, but, uh, yeah. And then after that, I, um, I started staying in a Benedictine monastery every year and uh, became more interested in you know, Buddhism, Hinduism. Uh, yeah, so, this, so it was definitely something that I had a big interest in uh, that I had a big interest in before I joined Freemasonry, and that, and that was really the reason I joined. Uh, uh, you know, I'd read about um, uh, uh, occultists and esotericists. I forget, I forget who one, sure. one figure in particular, an author. Uh, who who applied to join to Freemasonry, and that was actually the way I knew you, you could apply to join because you know the uh, the general perception was you had to be uh, had to be asked to join. So that's, that's how I right. knew I could. Um, yeah, so that was really uh, the foundation of joining. So now, at, at the time that you joined this this other order and and mm -hmm. had this visit the monastery and all this stuff, yeah. th this was prior to. Uh, to you actually embracing Freemasonry then, correct? Yeah, so I joined okay. when I was around 30, somewhere around there. And um, and uh, yeah, so uh, I was practicing sort of neo-paganism, 17, 18, joined in a pretty serious occult order when I was 19. And uh, yeah, I started staying in a Benedictine monastery probably when I was around 21, somewhere around there. Wow. 22 maybe. So at that point, was it more like symbolism and stuff that was crossing paths that then mm. put Freemasonry into your view? Or, or how did that correlation draw you over to Freemasonry? Yeah, well, so so actually uh, growing up in England, I had heard about Freemasonry even as a child, uh, where it's okay. very much portrayed as a club for corrupt businessmen. Ah. who roll their trouser legs up it sounded completely boring to me <laughs> and uh, and then when i was about 17 uh, or my friend who was all involved in this uh, world told me that freemasons practice ritual magic and i thought that can't be true but pretty fascinating that a group like that could be uh, said to be practicing ritual magic and um, i knew the knew either before or slightly after the many uh, Prominent occult figures such as uh, uh, William Westcott, 
uh, McGregor Mathers. I knew that they were Freemasons. And it, it just so happened that I was in Greenwich Market one day, an outdoor market, when they had a, a bookstore. And uh, I noticed uh, some uh, ritual books. Uh, and one of them was uh, the Rose Quad degree of Freemasonry. Uh, so I bought that and read it. And a little time after that, I got a hold of the, the Royal Arch degree of Freemasonry. And um, I didn't really understand, especially the Royal Arch, but um, it struck me as uh, much more intelligent than things I was practicing. So I, I held on to them and I, gotcha. I read a few other books on Freemasonry. I'm sure that, I'm sure the books I, I read were not very good because you, you really couldn't get uh, accurate historical writings about Freemasonry very easily back then. But, um, you know, it, it intrigued me for sure. Yeah. And I, I think because I, I couldn't quite figure out what it was, even though I'd read some of the rituals. Uh, now, so th this is intriguing to me. And I'm kind of, you know, touching a little bit on your on your path here in general, because I, I find it interesting of how it ties into this this overall topic, right? This this path of this warrior mystic and and your path has gone through these different routes and then ultimately right. ended you up yeah. in the Freemasonry that sounded like it started off slightly disappointing with, you know, you getting into Lodge and they weren't even talking about Freemasonry. Um, yeah. But you were doing that research on the side. Right. So how did what was there an impact there when you when you got into Freemasonry and saw, you know, that it, it wasn't really being practiced the way that you saw it should? What was it that really got you to drive to do that research and embrace it and bring that back to your lodge? Yeah, well, I think um, because because I had by that point a really pretty good uh, knowledge of, of religions of various religious texts and uh, many sort of alchemical and esoteric texts. Uh, I, I saw a lot of um, relationship to many of these. So I was immediately fascinated. And um, so I just uh, started going to the Masonic Library in New York and spent a lot of time there. And I was completely fascinated. They have over a thousand, I think it's over 10,000 volumes in the library. And um, uh, some on alchemy, some on uh, mysticism, etc. And uh, so I was completely hooked straight away, actually. So now we, it, it's fascinating because we we talk about this this path, right? And I guess one of my questions for you is, you know, what what within that got you to stay in Freemasonry? But also, hmm. do you see the, I guess, how would you approach the importance of the communal aspect uh, that Freemasonry offers input into that path versus kind of a lone wolf going about this path? Yeah, a lone wolf in Freemasonry or? Well, just, just in this this warrior mystic in general oh, yeah this, this path of transformation yeah so yeah so actually talk about the necessi necessity of joining a group and being a contributor to a uh, to a group in in my book um yeah so uh well the thing that kept me in and you know honestly there was a point um probably about 10 years ago or maybe a little less than that when um when i almost wondered whether i should just not be in Freemasonry anymore because sure uh, the lodge I was in at that time really had no interest in anything except um, debating 
for hours the most tedious details of the quote-unquote business of the large and I know people think that we rule the world and this kind of thing, but I'm talking about should we spend $100 on something? And that would be debated for two hours. Uh, and, uh, you know, this was not why I joined Freemasonry at all. And right. um, I did change large. I don't actually attend large that much. It's a little awkward for me, but, um, you know, I try to contribute where I can. So I, now I kind of feel my function after 20 years is more giving talks and editing the fraternal review so but um what i think what kept me in you know partly partly the camaraderie uh, i think that that could be improved in some lodges certainly um partly because uh, you know i'm interested in initiation and esotericism right uh so yeah there are really those things and um you know i think over the last five years uh, it's really changed a great, great deal, actually, and now it's a lot more vibrant. You have the Masonic uh, Con in Kansas coming up, which, I, and I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure, you know, six, seven years ago, such a thing would have been absolutely unthinkable. So, you know, n now there's a much bigger emphasis on Masonic education, and and, and just on, uh, you know, one thing I'm trying to promote a little bit is uh, just being creative in Freemasonry. We don't, we don't have to keep looking back to the past regurgitating things forever you know sure. we, don't, we don't need another another article that's been written a hundred times before over the last 300 <laughs> years we can think outside the box and we should so. yeah that's that's a very very valid point there you know i i find that fitting uh you know you had mentioned the fact that you don't so much visit lodge in your masonic experience today but you still find a lot of ways to have yourself deeply connected and involved in that communal aspect of freemasonry just yeah. instead of it being in the business meeting aspect you're going more to where you see freemasonry being in those educational forms to those conventions and and embracing right. yourselves with the brothers in that uh, aspect and yeah, you, yeah. you mentioned you talk in your book about that importance of you know having a community um, within this path of transformation. I know that's mm -hmm. been um, one topic that gets brought up a lot is you know not every lodge is the same atmosphere, and I think a lot of guys will come in and and wish their experience was different and wonder, well, if I've gone through the degrees, then what is the point of this community? Do I need it? And you know, yeah. reaching that importance of community, I think is important. Yeah, definitely it is. Yeah. And, you know, it is unfortunate that some people have a, a disappointing experience after being initiated because maybe their lodge has no sort of Masonic education, but you, you know, it's, to uh, such brothers, I would say, well, maybe look around and find a lodge that does, or if there isn't one, then try to start a some kind of Masonic education because probably it's going to be really well received. Uh, if not in your lodge, then in some other lodge. And you know, honestly, that's that's uh, kind of what happened to me. And this was years before the Masonic cons, you know. So definitely, it can happen. And if you can't find it elsewhere, you just do it yourself. Just start giving talks on these subjects. When new when new members come in and they're interested in philosophy or esotericism or whatever, just encourage them to give talks, even if it's just ten minutes, and you'll get the the ball rolling. Because uh, they'll give longer talks later on, and it will change over a period. So, yeah, one hundred percent. That's that's an excellent point. So, 
So kind of going through that, we, we've mentioned you, your previous book um, covering on the three stages. Uh, yeah. Now we're into this, this path of the mystic warrior being that second book. Do you see the conversation uh, that's involved here, encapsulated here, continuing? Um, or what would be the next phase to that conversation? Um, can you rephrase that? Yeah, well, just just how this topic has gone from the the three stages oh, into okay. into you know focusing on the ego and this this path of the mystic warrior is is there a third book that would be connected to that or where do you see that continuing past? Yeah, this? yeah. So I'm writing I'm writing uh, a few things, but uh, probably the next uh, next book that will be out is more of a practical book. It's looking at sort of self transformation partly through self hypnosis, but uh, through more practical ways as well. So so that that is that will be the most practical, uh, and I think this is kind of the logical conclusion of those two books that are, that are out now, uh, but I'm also working on other things. So. That's wonderful. Well, I, I definitely can't wait to, uh, to see the next work that comes out. I've enjoyed everything you've put out and you've definitely uh, opened my eyes to a bunch of different possibilities and horizons within the craft. So definitely wow. appreciate all you do in those manners. Thank you. Appreciate it. So now we, we've talked about several of these uh, conventions and stuff as well. Do you see an impact in that type or that aspect of masonry um, impacting one's path like we've been talking about as these conventions are often targeted more to those deeper thinkers yeah 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 well i think there's two really great things about them and one is the camaraderie which is always really great and there's often yeah. you know, usually a very upbeat uh, sort of energy to these conventions, uh, which is great. Uh, I think that's really important. And of course, there is often some really great speakers at, at these conventions as well, giving talks on everything from history to uh, esoteric symbolism. So, uh, so yeah, that's great. And I think, yeah, I'm sure it uh, impacts people's uh, initiatic uh, journeys, partly by sort of imbuing them with more enthusiasm, but also maybe introducing them to subjects that they didn't know about before through some of these talks. So yeah, I would think so, definitely. Uh, I, I personally uh, found them just to be a really great experience usually. So, so you, you pointed out the initiatic journey there, and I know we've, we've touched on it a few times here, but within your experience, your, your focus on this path and, and, and building this, uh, this, growth within it. What do you feel on the initiatic experience in a wide sense? Do you think it's appropriately handled or should there be aspects that are, you know, more focused upon on a regular basis? Um, yeah, well, I mean, that's a really, and that's a really big question because of course there are so many different initiatic traditions out there as That's well as self-initiation so so it's almost impossible to answer but i would i would say this if we're thinking about the general approach to initiation um yeah in today uh, i would say that the initiatic experience is actually very fragmented and um you know if you look back uh, previous eras before the modern era and I don't want to uh, glamorize or fetishize anything in the past, which I'm sure had its own problems as well. But but um, the, the the mystic and the warrior were at least at the higher level of the warrior war, war one. Uh, 
Uh, so, for example, in uh, in in Islam, at least in uh, Shia Islam, uh, Ali, uh, the uh, cousin and son-in-law, and the, the first of uh, Prophet Muhammad, and the first to accept Islam as a religion, uh, Ali among the Shia is regarded as both. Uh, uh, the great, the the the, exa- the exemplar of the, what a warrior should be, but he's also uh, these Islam's mystic as well. He he brings the esoteric understanding of of the Quran to the Shia, according uh, to that particular sect. And um, you know, there's a martial art uh, uh, zakana, um, and in uh, which is practiced in iran it's a very traditional ancient martial art and um, in every uh, gymnasium of this martial art there's actually a, a, a painting or an image of ali on that's displayed uh, because he is the the exemplar of the warrior but also the mystic and and uh, and these martial artists go through this kind of martial ritual that's actually based on uh, on sufism uh, and even the the counting has uh, has each number has a specific meaning, so they won't count one, two, three, four, five. Uh, they will give the meaning of each number after each count. One LR is one, two LR is not two, and so on. Um, uh, so I would say prior to the the modern age, uh, the, the the mystic and the warrior were one at the highest level. And that was really the ideal in a sense. Whereas today, uh, we've really got rid of the warrior side and uh, very, mm. we're very much, spiritual people are very much opposed to the body. Oh, this is just my meat suit. It's just a used car that I drive around until it stops working and then I'll get another one. And Or I'm a, I'm a spiritual being, being having a human experience. Well, okay, sure, but you know, if if you go to a movie theater and you have a experience of a movie, it's the movie that's important, right? So there's something important about being human, even if you are a spiritual being. Uh, that's the way you're going to experience enlightenment. I mean, the Buddha right. thought that human beings had the potential for enlightenment, whereas the gods did not. So there's something important about being human. And, um, you know, a lot of um, spiritual, quote-unquote, spiritual people, uh, feel that they can just let the body go and if it's sort of sick and not working or they haven't worked out for 20 years that that's totally acceptable um it's right. only acceptable today it's never been acceptable before that including among well maybe monks would be an exception but but uh, you know even if you know the buddha was considered to be a great wrestler uh, came from a warrior clan uh krishna uh, the sort of god the, the godhead he too was a great wrestler um so you know uh, you have to if you want to be spiritual you have to improve your body and be healthy and strong i think especially for men actually uh the spirituality shouldn't be a retreat from the world a kind of fearful retreat right. it should be a, it should prepare you for engaging in the world and then sure at a certain point you will stop living and it should prepare you for that moment of death and what's beyond it but until then it should prepare you to engage in the world that's a fascinating point so that that makes me think of aspects uh, that are 
really like we we've bridged on in the last five years we, we've started to see this this change uh, almost a renaissance in freemasonry mm-hmm. we've yeah. seen items bridge such as like the masonic legacy society would you say that meditation contemplation has a active and important role in freemasonry today or what, what is your take on that uh, well, if you mean contemplation as, as thinking about a subject and uh, and what it might mean over a long period, then yes, I, I don't think meditation, as in sitting down and um, uh, and entering a trance, they, uh, has a role in Freemasonry. I mean, I I meditate at least twice a day, and I do enter a trance state each time. But but uh, I wouldn't say that that is Masonic, and I wouldn't necessarily want to uh, introduce that to the large uh during the 18th century actually though though uh, some of that did enter uh freemasonry especially the cbcs uh, as well as martinism which is often seen as related to freemasonry uh through uh, the through the work of uh, the hypnotist anton uh, franz anton mesmer but um but that seems to be fairly short-lived but uh you know meditation uh, ex- extremely deep relaxation. Uh, these things are, are definitely very good for us, uh, very good for our health, for uh, for uh, getting rid of um, inflammation in the body. Uh, it's it's really important. Uh, m- many, well, probably not many people, probably the majority of people don't really know how to relax or how to switch off or to get rid of stress. And, uh, and this is why modern age today, yeah, and that's why so many people are sick or their their body is sick in some way. Um, uh, a lot of people who are overweight, they can't lose weight. Sometimes it's because of their stress level. It's not to do with their diet necessarily. Though obviously, that would be the first thing to check. But so you know, it's really important. But I don't. I personally wouldn't really want to introduce that to the Masonic Lodge. I mean, it's. A, I mean, it's okay if brothers want to do that. I would, you know, I would happily lead a, a session of meditation. But and I have done once. But <laughs> but in in general, I don't think it's what you would want to uh, introduce on a on a wide scale, particularly. Sure. Well, so I got one more question for you mm-hmm. before we head to the toast and kind of fa- uh, final mm-hmm. thoughts here. Um, one of the aspects we talked about um, within that initiatic journey, you know, we, we bridged the uh, the importance of community. We, we've talked through uh, the Freemasonry side of it. Um, but another term you mentioned there was self-initiatic experience. Mm-hmm. I, I want to get your role on, on uh, what validity and importance you think uh, a, a self-initiatic yeah. experience holds. Yeah, so a lot of people say that um, self-initiation is totally invalid and you have to receive some kind of initiation from an established sort of link or chain of initiators. And, um, you know, I think it, would dep- it depends what, init- what uh, tradition you're joining, right? So if you, want to join, if you want to become a Sufi, you need to be initiated by a Sufi master. Or if you want to become a Freemason, you need to be initiated by master masons in a, in a, in a regular lodge. But, um, you know, beyond that, in a sense, it's all, uh, it's all self-initiation. Um, you, you really have to do the work and, uh, you know, I don't think the idea is to come to conclusions that were come to before. Um, I mean, this is my take on it, or at least maybe this, Maybe this is not relevant for everybody. Maybe, maybe for many people, maybe it is 
to do that. I don't know. But personally, I think um, initiation is really about coming to an understanding that you can express uh, the sacred in in your own terms, uh, which would not be uh, against what has been said before, but kind of renews it. There's a, there's a, the end of uh, Khalil Gibran's The Prophet. Uh, he's I'm paraphrasing, but he says, uh, if if anything I've said is true, uh, someone else will come again and say it in new words. And I think that that's the point of initiation. It's not just to regurgitate. Anyone can do that. It's to come to an understanding that you can express it in a new way, but a way that is... Uh, uh, completely compatible with uh, uh, earlier expressions of it. Fantastic. Well, we are at that nine o'clock hour, my brother. If you wouldn't mind, we'll see if you'll lead us in our nine o'clock toast for this evening. Okay. Well, I'm going to toast to warrior mystics out there, uh, those who are able to harmonize the body and the spirit. Love that. Cheers. Cheers. Fantastic. Well, we've had quite the discussion this evening. We've we've bridged not only this this path of this warrior mystic, but we've kind of gone all the different directions uh, within that path. Those various paths that kind of correlate in there. So, I want to give an opportunity because I know it was asked in the comments here. Of first of all, where can they find this book and get a hold of it to consume it in its entirety? Yeah, well, it's on um, Amazon.com, Barnes and Noble. I think probably most large uh, booksellers will have it in 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 most uh, in America, Canada, and Western European countries. So it's pretty accessible. Fantastic. We'll make sure to get a link into the description as well, so they can find it easy there. Great. Great. And I want to give you an option or an opportunity for some some final thoughts about this book and uh, just whatever else you have to say about the book. Yeah, just anything to wrap the topic up. Oh, okay. Well, so so in that case, uh, I would just say, you know, uh, rather like the toast, you know, don't neglect one side of you. You know, be healthy, look after your body. Don't use spirituality as, an, uh, as a way of escaping the body or escaping the world. Uh, bring these things into harmony because uh, we're not just one thing. We are a, a mind, a body, and a spirit. And you want to bring those together to be as whole as you can be and to become your true self really, as far as is possible in this world. That's beautiful. I love it. And I'm reading the comments here. We've got brothers uh, like Brother Maddox over here saying cheers to all the warriors. So my brother, uh, if, if we can give you some uh, shameless plugs here, how can they get a hold of you um, outside of this and, and find all your different works? Sure. sure. So, well, so I think nearly all of my books are on Amazon. Uh, com apart from uh, Freemasonry Foundation of West of the Western Esoteric Tradition, which is out of print and cannot be found anywhere. But um, if people want to reach me, uh, they can go to my website, angelmillar.com, A-N-G-E-L-M-I-L-L-A-R.com. Fantastic. Well, my brother, I want to thank you so much for coming on this evening and enlightening us uh, through this path. It's a fantastic book, you guys. You definitely need to pick up a copy and read through it and then uh, have that conversation as well because uh, thinking about this and contemplating this is uh, is definitely needed in our paths. And Brother Millar does a fantastic job of bridging through this topic. So thank you so much for joining us this evening. 
It's been a pleasure having you back on here. Uh, it's been way too long. We need to meet up in yeah, person again for sure. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. But, well, thank you so much, man. And I hope our paths cross again very soon. Yeah, absolutely. Likewise. Thank you. All right. Thank you. And take care, everybody. Thanks for watching Historical Light. And until next time, keep illuminating our past.